Buenos días. Hermanos y hermanas, lo siento que yo no puedo predicar en español. Tal vez un día. Pero después del servicio, mi esposo y yo quisiéramos platicar con, con todos de ustedes uh, y necesitamos aprender más español. Welcome. I, I bring greetings from Cornerstone South LA. Uh, Matt Moore and I and others there, we've, we've heard what God is doing in your church. And it's a, it's a pleasure to be here and to bring God's word together. This morning we're going to look at the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews was written to a church who was under persecution. It was, it was written to a body of believers who were primarily Jewish. And at, at that time, they were, they were Jewish Christians. And the Roman government was persecuting Christians. And so the Christians who were Jews, they were tempted to renounce Christ and to say, no, we don't follow Christ anymore. We're Jews again. This was because the Roman government viewed Judaism as an official religion. And, and so the, the Jews weren't being persecuted, but the Christians were. And so the, the author of Hebrews, he writes to this church, and he pleads with them, and he says, you cannot go back to the Old Testament. You, you cannot forsake Christ. Everything in the Old Testament was looking forward to the coming of Jesus. And if you forsake Christ, if you forsake Jesus, there is no hope of salvation for you. And so he encourages the believers. He warns the believers. He pleads with the believers to hold fast to Christ to never let go of him and to run the race all the way to the finish line to run with endurance to run with perseverance and to never give up and so he encourages the believer he tells them the finish line is worth it Christ is better than anything in the Old Testament All the bulls, all the goats, all the sacrifices in the Old Testament, they couldn't take away sins. But Jesus' one sacrifice for all time, once for all time, he paid for sins. And, and not only that, but Jesus, who is God, he became a man. And so he understands the suffering that we are going through. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to feel pain. And so he is a high priest who understands what we're going through. And so he encourages the believers with these two great truths that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice 
and that he is the great high priest. But not only does he, does he encourage the believers, but he cares about them so much that he warns them. He warns them that if you reject Christ, if you, if you apostatize and you totally reject him, that you only face certain destruction. See, the faith, he teaches them that the faith that is real is the faith that endures to the end. It's the faith that makes it to the finish line. He tells the believers that the Christian life is like a race. And it's only when we keep our eyes on the finish line, we keep our eyes on the prize, and we keep our eyes on Jesus, that we will finish the race. The Christian life is like a marathon. It's not easy. After running 25 miles, I'm sure that the people who run a marathon want to give up. They're tired. They're hurting. And it's only when they think of the finish that they're able to finish. And so the author of Hebrews, he encourages them, he warns them, he pleads with them to finish the race. This morning we're going to look at a passage in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 12 through 17. And I want to, I want to show us the passage that's leading up to this, the context. In chapter 11 of Hebrews, you, you probably know this passage, it's a list of people who had faith. They, they, they are people, they are examples of people who trusted God until they died. And the author of Hebrews repeats over and over again that all of these believers, they died in faith. They, they didn't receive the promises yet. But they kept on trusting God until the end of their lives. And so they're a great example to us of what it's like to persevere in faith and to not give up until the end. But then he gets to chapter 12. And the ultimate example of someone who persevered, who endured to the end, is Jesus Christ himself. He persevered in faith all the way until the cross. And how did he do that? Hebrews chapter 12, it teaches us that he looked to the joy that was set before him. And so that's what we need to do as well. As we run the race, we need to keep our eyes on the prize. Next, in, in verse 3, he starts, he starts encouraging the believers that even though they were going through great trials, there was much persecution. Many of the believers were being put in prison for their faith. They were hurting, they were suffering. But the, but the author of Hebrews encourages them that even though this evil persecution was coming upon them, that God is a loving Heavenly Father and this suffering was done by Him ultimately 
because he disciplines children whom he loves. And so even the worst suffering, even the persecution that was so evil, God is still a loving Heavenly Father. And, and the suffering that they were facing was because God was disciplining them like children. We see, we see in chapter 12 that God disciplines us so that we will share in His holiness. This means that even when we are persecuted, even when we are suffering, we have a good Heavenly Father and He has a good purpose behind our suffering. Our, our suffering isn't just random occurrences. There's a good Heavenly Father who knows what is good for us. And the suffering He brings upon us is for our good. He, he's using it to make us more like Jesus. And so the, what, the passage that we're going to look at this morning, the, the author of Hebrews is writing to us to teach us, so what do we do now? After he's encouraged the believers that their suffering had a purpose, and their suffering was given them to them by a loving God, the author now turns in verse 12 to teach us how to care for one another in the midst of this suffering. Let me read for us in Hebrews chapter 12, and, and starting in verse 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls, fails to obtain the grace of God, and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many be defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place to repent, though he sought it with tears." This passage begins with a therefore. Because of the persecution, the body needs to care for one another. When there is persecution, when there is suffering, often there are people who are weak in faith. There, there are times when all of us are weak in faith. There are times that we need encouragement, we need help. There are times when we are tired. Have you ever noticed that when you are tired, how easy it is to lose your perspective on what is eternal? Have you ever noticed how easy it is to get angry at your kids when you're tired? It, it's so hard to keep our mind on eternal things when we're suffering. When we're going through trials, when we're being beaten up, that's when it's hard to keep our perspective on really what's important. In, in the book of Hebrews, these believers were beaten up. They were, they were bruised because of all the persecutions that they were facing. Life was very, very hard for them. 
it would have been so easy for them to reject Christ. If they just rejected Christ, they wouldn't be persecuted anymore. And so the author is calling them to care for one another. For those who are strong in faith, to care for the weak. Notice how he uses the terminology of a race once again. We are to, we are to lift the drooping hands and strengthen the weak knees. This is kind of like a picture of, of an elderly lady crossing the street. Or someone who is maybe really tired. Their, their arms are drooping. Their, their knees are weak. And, it, and it's a picture of a, a young man coming alongside of that woman and helping her across the street. That's what we're supposed to do for one another. That's how we're supposed to care for one another. It's the picture of someone who's running a race and, and they're weak and so it's easy for them to trip. And so the strong person runs ahead on the path and clears the path out of the way for them to walk. They move all the stones out of the path to make it easier for the weak person to be able to run the race. This is the picture that the author is painting for us. Really, all of us are weak people. It's like we sang in the song, right? We're, we're undone. We don't like to admit that we're struggling, though. We, we don't want people to know how weak we really are. Really, that's just our pride. We, we don't want to share our struggles with other people. But, but it's very true and in a very real sense, we are all just being held up by a little thread, by a little string. It, it's only God's grace that's holding us up. It, it's not our strength. It's not our power. And if we have a, a real understanding of how weak we are, then we will understand how much we need to care for one another. Some of us are stronger than others at times. Sometimes I'm strong and sometimes I'm weak. And so we all need to come alongside each other when we're weak and to help each other. And so the author is here commanding us. He's telling us that we need to care for one another who are weak. When you hear that someone is going through a trial, what is your first response? Do you think about how to encourage that person? Do you think about how to help that person? Do you think about how someone's physical challenges or physical difficulties may be, may be affecting their faith? None of us are Superman. All of us are weak at times. And so we need to constantly be thinking about the body. We need to be thinking about how to care for one another. Isn't that what we would want people to do for us when we are weak? Next in verse 14, we see that the author calls them to peace and unity in the body. We need to be at peace with one another. We stand together and we fall together. We depend upon one another. And the author says this is something that we need to pursue. This is something that we need to chase after. 
This is something that we need to put effort in to pursue this peace, this unity in the body. It's not okay for there to be broken relationships in the body. If, if, you, if you know of, of some person that you're not in a good relationship with, the author is telling them, you need to pursue reconciliation. You need to pursue unity. He says we need to pursue holiness. Holiness is the goal. No one is going to see God without holiness. But we don't pursue holiness alone. These things go together. We pursue peace and we pursue holiness. We pursue a relationship with God and a relationship with one another. We need to be in right relationship with one another as a body and together all of us are pursuing this holiness with the Lord. In other words, we seek holiness together as a church. It's, it's not enough to just seek holiness for ourselves. It's not enough to just seek for me to be in a right relationship with the Lord. The author of Hebrews, he's teaching us that we run this race together. And so when we are all in right relationship with one another, and then we pursue our relationship with the Lord. We run the race together, and we win the prize together. But the question is, how do we do that? As we get to verse 15, we see that the author tells us, how can we do this together? How do we pursue unity together in our relationship with the Lord? He says we do it by watching out for one another. Each one of us needs to be thinking about and caring for and watching out for one another. The picture here is like someone on a watchtower. The person on the watchtower is looking out all around for any danger. They're, they're trying to make sure that no danger comes upon whatever they're guarding. And what the author of Hebrews says here is that every single person in the body needs to be on the watchtower. This is not just for the pastors. The author here is saying that the whole church needs to be doing this together. This, this is for everyone. And what are we to be watching out for? The author says there are three things that we need to be watching out for. And each one of these things that we're watching out for is people. We're looking out for people. The first thing that he says is that we need to be watching out that not one person falls short of the grace of God. We need to be making sure and watching out that no one fails to finish the race. That's what the author here is saying here. To fall short of the grace of God 
means to not reach the goal. It means to not attain to the prize. It means to not reach the goal of God's grace. That's the first thing that we need to be watching out for. You see how the author here is concerned for every single person in the church. He doesn't even want one person to miss the prize. He wants every single person to reach the finish line together. That's the goal. It's like someone who quits the race before they reach the finish line. It's like someone who trips and falls down and doesn't get up. They, they don't finish. They don't reach the prize. They don't reach the goal. And so the author is concerned that we watch out for people who are weak. We're looking out for one another. We're making sure that no one fails to reach the prize. Have we ever met people who are beaten down? Who are ready to give up on being a Christian? Maybe they're tired. Maybe they're weak. We don't want to only care for them after they leave the church. We need to be watching out and seeing who could be weak and seeking to encourage those people and helping those people. Has someone missed church? It may not be for a bad reason. But why not give them a call and see how they're doing? Have you heard that someone lost their job? Or got sick? Or maybe one of their friends or loved ones died? Why not stop by for a visit? Write them an encouraging note. Bring them dinner. Cry with them. Give them a hug. We're all weak at times. We, we need that encouragement to care for one another and to, to keep our eyes on what's eternal. We all need that encouragement to keep trusting in Christ. Next, the author says, we need to be watching out that no one be a bitter and poisonous root. At first, I used to think that this root of bitterness was an attitude. I thought that the author was warning us about an attitude of bitterness in our hearts. But actually, the author is quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 29. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 29 and let me read the passage that the author is quoting from. Deuteronomy 29 and let's start in in verse 13. Moses is writing is preaching to the people of Israel and he's encouraging them to be in relationship with God. Let me just skip down to verse 16 actually. He says, you know how we lived in the land of Egypt and how we came through the midst of the nations through which you passed 
And you have seen their detestable things, their idols of wood and stone, of silver and of gold, which were among them. And then look at verse 18 in particular. He says, Beware, lest there be among you a man or a woman, a clan or a tribe, whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and to serve the gods of those nations. Beware, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit, one who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I will be safe even though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to the, to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. The Lord will not be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man, and the curses written in this book will settle upon him, and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. You see the attitude that this person has. He says, I am safe, even though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. And you see that Moses calls this person a bitter root. This, this person is like a poison. It's a person who that attitude of unbelief will spread. This is someone who doesn't trust God. They don't obey God. But they think that maybe because they call themselves a Christian that they're okay. They think, I'm safe. I'll go to heaven when I die. But Moses calls this person a poisonous root because that attitude, that attitude of disbelief can spread. It's like a poison that spreads among God's people. Back in Hebrews, the author of Hebrews warns us that that person can defile others. The idea of defilement is also in the Old Testament. It's a picture that sin, it spreads like dirt. In the Old Testament, if somebody touched a dead body, they would be unclean. And then if somebody touches that person, then they're unclean as well. And so we see that uncleanness spreads. It defiles people. And so that, that person who stops believing in God, they could be like a poison, like a contamination in the church. See, it's, it's so easy for, for us to have this attitude of disbelief. And so we need to watch out for one another. We, we want to make sure that not even one person has this kind of attitude. Have you ever noticed how gossip can spread among God's people? Pretty soon, if gossip isn't stopped, a whole group of people could be believing a lie. Do you remember the story of the 12 spies in Numbers? The 12 spies went into the promised land and they saw, they saw big people. They saw tall walls. And 10 of the spies says, oh no, we cannot conquer the promised land. We're not able to conquer it. God isn't strong enough to conquer. Joshua and Caleb, the two other spies, they pled with the people. They said, no, God is strong enough. 
But those 10 spies, they convinced 2 million people to rebel against God and that whole generation died in the wilderness. It, it probably started with one person saying something like, look how big those walls are. Or one person saying, look how big those people are. And from that one attitude of disbelief, it spread to two million people. That's the way that unbelief can spread. And so every single person in the church needs to be on guard. Next he says that we, we need to be watching out that no one be adulterous and worldly like Esau. Esau was described as adulterous. It's, the, the author of Hebrews here is using the picture of a person who... Esau wasn't a, a literal adulterer. Esau didn't go sleep with another wife. But, but God is pictured as our husband. And, and when we go after other gods, it's adultery. When we worship other idols, it's adultery. And that's what Esau did. We see that he traded his birthright for a single meal. He, he, that meal, that food, that his stomach was his idol. He, he loved his stomach rather than loving God. And, and the, he, the author of Hebrew describes him as worldly. He's secular. What that means is he was concerned about this world and not heaven. He cared about physical reality and not spiritual reality. We might think, what was so bad about what Esau did? All he did was sell his birthright. But really, he was selling his opportunity to be part of God's plan. He knew that God made promises to Abraham. He knew that God's plan was to make Abraham's children into a great nation. He knew that God wanted to use the nation of Israel to bless the world. But he didn't care. What was important to him was his stomach. He cared about what was worldly. That's what all he cared about. That's one of the great dangers for us. We get lured away from spiritual things. We get tricked. Most of the time, believers don't walk away from Christ for no reason. Slowly and slowly, we, we become more and more enticed by the world. We get lured by the world. If we take our eyes off of Christ and how glorious He is, we start to look at everything only from a physical perspective. We start to think that money, 
and comfort and safety and everything physical is what's important. It takes constant faith. It takes constant diligence. We need to constantly be remembering that the spiritual things are what's most important. We need to remember that the most important things are the things that we cannot see. Sin is deceitful and it can trick us. And so we need to be careful that none of us be worldly like Esau. The author of Hebrews talks about how Esau exchanged his birthright for a single meal. He uses a word here to say that Esau made a trade. He made a trade of physical things for spiritual things. He made a really bad trade. He traded in his spiritual blessings for a single meal. When times are tough, when we're suffering, we're all tempted to think about what's only in front of our eyes. Really, all sin is a trade. Every sin is a trade where we trade in physical things for spiritual things. We trade temporary pleasure for eternal blessings. And so we need to help each other to look to eternity. We need to help each other to remember that it's eternity that is truly important. There's one other place in the book of Hebrews that the author uses this word for trade. It's used earlier in chapter 12 of Christ. Christ made a different kind of a trade. Christ traded in the cross for the joy set before him. That was a good trade. Because of the joy of heaven, because of the joy of the kingdom of God, it was worth it for Christ to even go to the cross. The worst kind of suffering, the worst kind of pain, even being rejected by God, it was worth it because eternity was worth it. Now that's a good trade. Don't make a trade like Esau. Make a trade like Christ. Finally, the author ends with a strong warning. He tells that, that afterwards, Esau found no place for repentance. Even though he sought for it with, ta- with tears. How scary is this passage? We can get to a place where we're so worldly. We're so earthly in our perspective that we may not be able to repent. Maybe you've heard someone that say, one day I'll follow God. But right now, I'm just going to live for myself. The author of Hebrews warns us that if we go down that path, we go down that path of worldliness, we could go so far down that path that one day we won't even want to repent. We don't know when people cross that line. We should always seek people's salvation. 
we should always pray for people. But the author of Hebrews is warning us that we cannot presume upon God's grace. Over and over, the author of Hebrews says, Today is the day of salvation. Today, if you feel any sorrow for your sin, you feel any conviction that God's kingdom is worth living for, then repent today. God is gracious. He's merciful. And anyone who calls out to Him for salvation will be saved. So we see in this passage that the author calls us to care for one another. No one is to run this race alone. We need one another. And God has designed the body to care for one another, to watch out for one another. We all need to help us to keep our perspective on eternity. This race is hard. It, it, but if we remember how good God is, if we remember how good is the joy set before us, we can encourage one another to keep running. May God give us the faith to see that God's kingdom and giving up everything for it is worth it. There's nothing better. And, and even when the race is hard, we feel like giving up. We feel like quitting the race and rejecting it. May we as church, as a church, may we as a body help each other, come along and encourage one another and strengthen one another so that we can finish the race together. As we're going to take communion this morning, listen to one other passage from Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, I thank you so much for this church. I thank you for this body of believers who trust in you. I pray that you would help them. Help them to encourage one another. When times are tough, when there's suffering, when there's pain, I pray that they would come alongside one another and encourage one another. Help us to remember that you are so good. Help us to remember that your kingdom is so glorious. 
Help us to remember how joyful it's going to be when you come. And help us to encourage one another to, to have faith until the end. I pray that every single person in this church, every single person would finish the race. I pray that all of us will finish the prize together and we will win the prize. That is our hope. That's our joy. We long to be with you. And we thank you that you've placed us in the body to encourage one another and to run this race together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.